Today on Ag News Daily. We have about 20 years or so um, before the Ogallala Aquifer in the southern part will um, have very little water to pump out. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is yet another beautiful fall day here in central Iowa, and I am actually sitting right next to my co-host, Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you? I'm good. You're lucky you get to sit right next to me today. Yeah, okay. I'm lucky. (laughs) So, Delaney, we are going to be having a couple of fun conversations today. We've got reporter Bruce Gorder from Nebraska has a conversation on the Ogallala Aquifer. We will be playing. And do you want to tell our listeners the, uh, the news, the growth at Ag News Daily? Sure. We are welcoming on our second Ag News Daily intern. She's an Iowa State student. I think she's a junior, if I remember correctly. She'll uh, give us the full details. Katie is going to be chatting with us here a little bit later, and she gets to edit the podcast. Yes. Thank you, Katie. That is fantastic, (laughs) because editing is a lot of work, so we always appreciate Mm -hmm. any assistance we can get there. Now, Delaney, before we jump in to these two great interviews, what's the news in the world of agriculture? And why don't you kick it off, actually, if I can direct you a little bit. Soybeans are up 30 cents on the day. That's where I was heading to. Okay. Why? What is going on there? Mike, President Trump tweeted, and the markets responded. He sent out a tweet this morning at 9.09 a.m. I don't know, I guess, if it's Eastern or Central time. But he said, quote, just had a long and very good conversation with President Xi Jinping of China. We talked about many subjects with a heavy emphasis on trade. Those discussions are moving along nicely with meetings being scheduled at the G20 in Argentina and also had good discussions on North Korea. So I have a little bit of news to follow up with that, Mike, because it sounds all, all great, all fine and dandy, but then President Trump has also issued statements about further tariffs if, uh, if President Xi and him don't have a good meeting in Argentina here in a couple of weeks. Okay, so carrot and stick approach. Yeah, I'm trying to find it. I read somewhere, I thought it said he was thinking about slapping on another round of $627 billion worth of tariffs on Chinese goods. What? That would be just basically doubling all the existing tariffs, I suppose? I'm sorry, I mixed it up. I inverted the numbers. $267 million. Oh, gotcha. But that's still a lot. Yeah, it's the remaining balance of trade we have with China. Yeah, so that's on the table. Um... Another interesting piece of news, I think, for today, it was in a couple of different ag publications I was reading, was a study done by Purdue University that basically they wanted to look at um, kind of the tit for tat, okay, when we look at what's going on in China and also what's going on in Canada and Mexico, does the USMCA deal make up for the trade war we're having with China? They found that it does not. So Mm. quotas and other measures built into the trade pact with Mexico and Canada will boost U.S. exports, mainly on dairy and poultry product, by an estimated $450 million per year. But the study found that retaliatory tariffs imposed on U.S. ag commodities by Canada, Mexico, the EU, and China will cost farmers and ranchers up to $7.9 billion a year. Ooh, so a net loss of $705 billion to agriculture. Yeah. Hmm. That that kind of sucks. Right. Yeah, that's not, that's so not good, great. Does it? No. But if we continue to see beans rally like they did today, mm-hmm. I mean, we would drop that number very, very quickly. We need some more uh, stories to 
sell the market on. President Trump, keep tweeting. Keep tweeting. <laughs> get get well, on I don't there. I think he's stopping tweeting anytime well, soon. Well, keep tweeting about soybeans, oh. President. Get on there, Mr. Trump, and say, look, President G has decided he personally wants to buy a whole mm -hmm. ton of soybeans. It doesn't matter if it's true. It's Twitter. You can lie on Twitter, Mr. President. Just please do it. We could use another couple days of this for the uh, soybean producers who are working their way through harvest as we speak. And actually, I've got a little bit of soybean news here. Uh -huh. In contrast to the good news from President Trump on soybean trade, a vessel carrying soybeans from the U.S. to China. This uh, ship was loaded back in October, and it was scheduled to arrive on Wednesday in the port of Qingdao in China. Today they changed their destination. They are not going to China. They don't want to pay the tariffs. So instead they're going to Yoso in South Korea, and they're going to get in there on Thursday morning. So even though we've got good things happening on Twitter, the grain movement on the ground has not yet gone back into China. So my question is when stuff like that happens, like a vessel is on its way to China or wherever, and it switches destinations, what happens cost-wise to those people agree to pay the same price that China was paying, the, the shipping cost, I assume it would change. Yeah, the shipping cost change. I'm guessing that whoever the exporter is reached out to somebody in South Korea and said, hey, look, I've got these beans. It's going to cost me X to get them into China. You know, would you give me probably a lower price mm -hmm. than that, but I guess my question is who's um, taking the price hit because somewhere they're losing money from changing shipping routes. Could be any of them. Yeah. That's the deal with trade. I know. You know, I'm they wouldn't curious. have agreed to it if it didn't right. work for both parties. So I'm guessing the the exporter is going to eat a little bit, but yeah. probably less than they'd eat if they mm -hmm. followed through and paid the tariffs. Right. All right. Well, that's my uh, soybean news. Do we have any mm -hmm. non-soybean news? We do have non-soybean news, but it's still related to trade. Next week, U.S. officials and businesses are heading to South Korea for a trade mission. I was blown away by this. I don't know how many people are part of this trade mission, but they already have 700 meetings planned, 700, uh, and that is led by trade delegation Ken Isley, who is the administrator, administrator of the USDA's Foreign Agricultural Service. Hmm. Seven hundred meetings, though. Yeah, that's quite a bit. Yeah, that's a lot of meetings. How long are they going to be there? Does it say? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I would assume months if they're taking seven hundred meetings. meetings. Right. And meetings between bureaucrats, there's usually a lot of you know jibber jabber. They're not short meetings, I would have guessed. I wouldn't think so. Well, I've got some Wall Street news for us here. Of course, a lot of our listeners are purchasers of Pioneer brand seed corn, and Dow DuPont, the parent company of Corteva, the parent company of Pioneer, announced a stronger than expected third quarter profits not due to agriculture. It was a demand for chemicals from cosmetics, paints, and packaging. Um, that was, uh, let's see, that was up over year over year in the third quarter. However, its ag sector, its ag uh, unit, reported a non-cash charge, basically a loss, of $4.6 billion. With a B. With a B. So uh, in spite of that, though, we still saw Dow shares up four and a, four, almost 4.5% four on the day. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, they're, they're struggling in the ag side, but it's the broader economy yeah. that's pulling that company through, that's pulling beef demand through, and all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, I've got some good news for folks who use dicamba products. The EPA has officially announced just yesterday that they're extending by two years the conditional registration for the use of the herbicide to be used over the top 
to control these dicamba resistant weeds. They're putting in a couple of stipulations or changes, I guess, from what they are now. Um, you won't be allowed to won't be allowed 45 days after planting soybeans and 60 days after planting cotton to use the product. But it is, I guess, another tool in our toolbox that we get to continue using. So good news, I think, for producers. As long as you're using it correctly, there's still a lot of guidelines. Yes. And you still absolutely have to have a certified applicator's license to use this. Um, but yeah, I, th I would think good news overall. It shows, I think it shows that maybe from year to year, like last year we had a really tough mm -hmm. time with this. This year it seems like we really haven't heard about it in the news, and it yeah. seems like people were using it responsibly this year. Yeah, yeah, making progress. I did uh, was in a conversation on Twitter. Uh, one of the farmers said, you know, it looks like all of these new requirements to use dicamba put more burden on the sprayer operator mm -hmm. rather than the company to make sure uh -huh. that the product being sprayed is the Extendamax, the less volatile. Mm -hmm. And I think he's right, but I, again, I, I guess I don't know how you would track you know, whether or not know, somebody's using an older chemistry. Yeah. I don't know either. Well, I've got some news here, Delaney. A lot of our listeners know I hate deer. I hate them. The mm -hmm. white-tailed deer. Okay. I hate them. Hate them. I honestly, like, the way some people hate snakes, Yeah. I hate deer. Are you scared of them? No. Well, kind of. Deer kill more people every year than sharks. <laughs> really? Absolutely. That's deer are a menace. Huh. Well, we've got a report out from the World Wildlife Foundation, or Federation, World Wildlife Fund, excuse me, it's WWF, but not the World Wrestling Federation. They said that since 1970, wild animal population, so this is any critter with a backbone, has decreased 60%. Okay, what that has to do with deer? Why can't we kill deer off? <laughs> if we're driving all of these species extinct, why haven't we made deer go extinct? I don't think that this article was aimed. <laughs> Mankind, we can do better. <laughs> if we're killing article... off polar bears and so forth, let's also kill off deer. I think this article was aimed as like a, hey, red flag, we should be saving the planet because WWF is usually a pretty Yeah, oh yeah, no, that's what they're saying. <laughs> but I'm saying, look, we're killing off all these critters anyway. Let's also kill off deer. Huh. Yeah. So, uh, fun fact for you. Yesterday I finished my um, master's degree officially. I passed my exam. Nice little humble brag. Way to sneak that in there, Delaney. We're all well, very okay, proud of you. Yeah. I'm saying one of the theories I talked about in my exam yesterday was the framing theory. And you right now are doing the exact thing I talked about in my exam. You're well, framing the story to tell it what you want to tell it, even though the story you're reading is obviously not even remotely tied to deer population. No, he says the uh, uh, Marco Lambertini, who's the director general of WWF International, says, quote, the situation is really bad and it keeps getting worse, mm -hmm. end quote, which sounds to me like there's still hope that we could drive deer to <laughs> extinction. Marco, I'm with you, brother. We're going to get rid of these deer. Mankind well, can do it. It's hunting season right now, isn't I'm, it? I think it's pheasant. I don't uh, and, oh, it's November. It's November. Yeah, all right. November 1st today. Ladies and gentlemen, hunters and huntresses, get out there and blast every deer you can and blast <laughs> them right in the face. Hashtag end Bambi. <laughs> oh, that's awful. You have any other... Three weeks from uh, Thanksgiving, officially today. There we go. And people are already starting Christmas music. I'm not even going to get started I on that. I saw your Twitter post. Let's not even talk about okay. it. Okay. We'll pick that up later. Um, the uh, last piece of news I have for today is a little bit here about uh, blending volume requirements for the renewable fuel standard. The EPA has officially sent over their 2019 proposal to the White House for final review, and then the uh, filing will happen with the Office of Management and Budget. The proposal has 
until November 30th to be finalized. Um, the agency had earlier proposed setting a, bland, a blending mandate of 19.88 billion gallons for 2019, which is a 3% increase from 2018, but we don't have confirmation yet if that is what they actually sent over in their proposal to the White House. Oh, okay. All right. Well, hopefully they'll get something done here before too long. Mm -hmm. I've got just one other story kind of tying into the environmental, you know, killing off animals and so forth. Um, political action groups connected to environmental causes. The League of Conservation Voters and the political arm of the Sierra Club are going to be spending more than $100 million here in the final week leading up to the election. One of the things they're really pushing for is they want to get candidates elected who are going to fight Trump's regulatory rollback on environmental issues, which includes what, Delaney, that impacts farmers and ranchers? WOTUS. WOTUS, exactly. Uh, WOTUS is a small part of what they're looking to... Uh, Take, uh, take a match should they get elected, or, or should their candidates get elected, rather, but uh, definitely would have an impact on American agriculture, so let's continue to pay attention. Before we jump into the markets, what do you say? Should we meet our new intern, Katie Hagee? Let's do it. Well, as promised, we're talking to our new intern, Ms. Catherine Hagee. Katie, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, why don't you give us an update? Tell us where you're from and what you're studying there at Iowa State. All righty. Well, I'm originally from Peoria, Illinois. And in Peoria, I have a small sheep operation. And that kind of really led me to want to be an agricultural business, which is what I'm studying here at Iowa State. I'm a sophomore majoring in agricultural business. And I don't really know. What else? <laughs> Katie, tell us then. So we found you through the Ag EI program or the Agricultural Entrepreneurship Initiative, which we uh, used last year to find an intern over the summer. What is, what's your thought? Why did you decide to get involved with this organization? I thought it was an awesome opportunity. I mean, I really love editing. I have a small photography business back home. And I really found a lot of joy in editing pictures, so I thought uh, to try my hand at editing podcasts, and I honestly love it. So it was a really good choice for me. <laughs> well, we love that you love it because we both hate it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Katie, let's look out to the future. You're a sophomore studying ag business. You've got a sheep operation back home. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? I hate that question. I know. Everybody hates that question, <laughs> yeah. but you have to ask it because when you're young and starting out, you know, you've always got... You've got big dreams. You've got dreams. Yeah. You've got goals. So what yeah. are what are your goals and dreams? Well, I'm hoping to be able to go back to Peoria and go back to the farm. Um, my family kind of has some big plans that we're hoping to get done in mm. um, buying land and such to expand our farm. Um, so hopefully that can happen. I'm hoping to get some kind of job in the agricultural business world. I have honestly no idea what I want to do yet, but um, so far, if all goes well with this internship, I might start pursuing a job close to this one. So mm -hmm. that's awesome. We'll well, we see. hope you we hope you enjoy it, Katie. When you look at agriculture as a whole, what industries or facets of agriculture get you really fired up? I mean, livestock? Is it agronomy? It's probably livestock. 
I um, grew up in 4-H, and I was fortunate enough to be part of a special interest dairy science club that my uncle started. And um, I really found a love for educating people about dairy and about livestock. And um, because of that special interest 4-H club, I got to be an ambassador for Midwest Dairy over the summer, which was super fun. I really enjoyed it. And it's just really fun to educate people about livestock and really help to spread the word. What what does an ambassador for dairy do? Do you just go and talk about how awesome cheese and ice cream is? <laughs> um, well, it's a little bit more than that. Um, I went to events and I got to um, have a like a milk a cow booth. Mm-hmm. It was just a little cardboard cow with a bucket, but little kids really <laughs> enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> I helped out at the Illinois State Fair for a while which was a really interesting experience. I got to learn a lot about the dairy building, and um, it was super fun. I got to see how the products were judged. I was there for the entire time while they were judging the cheeses and the ice creams, and so that did was a super fun experience. Did you get to sample experience. any? I did. Ooh. Yeah, I got to sample some of JB's ice cream, and it was amazing. You should really mm, check it out. good. I've got a question while we're talking livestock, Katie. Tell us about your sheep herd. Are you raising them for wool? Are these meat sheep or meat lambs? What are you doing? Yeah, so I have Corydale sheep, which are a dual-purpose breed. I originally started the flock in 2012 as part of a 4-H project, and I found a love for the animal, so I decided to expand my flock. And so now we're just basically a production flock since I'm out of 4-H. But it's still super fun, and I'm really excited for lambing season coming up here soon in December. And I can't can't wait. With dual purpose, does that mean that you're raising them for wool production and also for meat production? Yes. So are you... I don't know a lot about sheep, so I might be a little bit naive here, but so are you going out then and chopping the harvesting the wool with shearing shearing yeah that's shearing. what i'm looking for shearing. you give your sheep a haircut <laughs> yeah yes yes yeah um every year once a year i um me and my uncle and a few other people in the area who have sheep we bring all of our sheep to one farm and we bring in a guy who shears our sheep for us um and so then he shears we get it all done in one morning and I just sell my wool to him because it's easier that way. Um, Makes sense. And then, yeah. So, and super fun. Shearing day is really amazing. It's a lot of hard work, but it pays off in the end. And so I had a neighbor with sheep when I was a kid and growing up. And the only thing I really remember about them was their smell after it rained. <laughs> uh, and maybe yes. this is one of those things that when I was a kid, you know, it's just stuck with me. Do sheep have an odor after a rain? Well, that odor is most likely the lanolin in the wool, and lanolin mm-hmm. is oil that um, some companies extract and put mm-hmm. in lotion, so it's what makes your hands really soft in, with lotion. And so that smell is probably lanolin. Hmm, I personally love the smell of lanolin, oh. um, but that's just because I've I've grown up with it. And you get accustomed to it after a while. Absolutely. But yeah, there's definitely some kind of an odor after it rains. <laughs> yes. Yeah, very distinctive. Yes. Well, fantastic. Well, Catherine Hagee, 
Katie, we are really excited to have you on Team Ag News Daily as we get through the fall. We're really grateful that you've taken the time to uh, to join us and to work with editing the podcast. And so listeners, if you hear an episode, chances are Katie has helped us or has on her own put it all together. So thanks a lot, Katie. Yeah, thank you. Well, there we go, listeners. Katie Haggy will be putting this episode together. Yes, she will. We're very excited, but we're also excited about the markets today, at least from the producer's standpoint. What do you say, Delaney? Should we jump into them? Yeah, I'm actually excited today about it. Yes, indeed. Folks, we had a big day in the soybean market. The markets are volatile. Volatility creates opportunities. It also creates challenges. Manage your way through it and mitigate your risk management by working with our friends at the Zaner Group. You can give them a call at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zaner.com. And we've got green all the way down the screen in the grain markets today, starting with corn, the December contract up three and a half cents at 366 and three quarters, the March up three at 378 and three quarters in soybeans. The November, which of course is uh, pretty well done, was up 30 cents on the day, finished at 869 even. January up 30 and a quarter to close at 882. As we look at Chicago wheat, the December contract was up seven and a half cents at 508 even. The March up six and three quarters, finished the day at 522 and three quarters. Looking over on the livestock side, mixed trade in the cattle complex today with live cattle showing a little bit of strength. The December contract was up 17 and a half cents at one. 1250 the February up 15 cents at 12235 in feeder cattle the November contract down 17 and a half cents at 15330 the January up 4750 to close at 15060 and in lean hogs a little bit of weakness today December contract down 25 cents at 5820 the February down 27 and a half close the day at 6505 looking over at the dairy side we've got mixed trade the October contract well well, yeah, we're just going to skip October. November up 11 cents at 14.90, and the December Class 3 milk up 4 cents at 15.21. Now let's jump into a report from our field reporter Bruce Gorder about what's happening with the Ogallala Aquifer in Nebraska. The Ogallala Aquifer runs from southern South Dakota down through the Texas Panhandle and provides water for humans, livestock, and crops throughout the High Plains. There has been concern about the aquifer levels, especially in southern Kansas, the Oklahoma and Texas panhandles, and eastern New Mexico. Jim Dobrolowski is with the USDA's National Institute of Food and Agriculture. He was a featured speaker at the recent National Institute for Water Resource Regional Conference in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I asked him about the current situation on the southern high plains. Well, it's um, we have about 20 years or so um, before the Ogallala Aquifer in the southern part will um, have very little water to pump out to use for agricultural irrigation. So this, the state and local water agencies have told us that the Ogallala Aquifer in the southern part is going to be a difficult place to make a living as a farmer at, if you're using irrigated crops. So if this continues uh, economically, it's, it's going to be a big blow, not only to agriculture, but to the whole econ- economy of the area. Well, it'll be tough because um, in, in some cases, um, the farmers won't be able to go to dry land or what we call rain-fed agriculture simply because it, it doesn't pencil out and it won't be economically viable. 
because some of the soils uh, just don't hold enough water to produce a crop, um, but it could be economical for the farmer. So. Now, your organization within USDA are looking at a couple of projects. Uh, talk about the project number one with the crops down there. What can be done, if anything? Well, the uh, Ogallala Aquifer Coordinated Agricultural Project, or CAP project, was um, um, awarded to Colorado State University, but has partners all along uh, in the Ogallala states. So the states that are, that are over the aquifer itself belong to this, um, this particular project. And it is actually looking at attempting to improve technologies, improve the conservation of uh, water use out of the aquifer. So reduce the amount that's actually used for irrigated agriculture perhaps um, uh, helping farmers with changing crops, um, certainly by uh, the intensification of management in local areas and, um, and identifying ways where they can schedule irrigation uh, properly and, uh, and do other technologies that will actually reduce that water use. Uh, and the other project is the Southern Great Plains Grazing Project, which is another coordinated agricultural project, or CAP. So these are large projects that are um, in excess of $5 million. They're, they're either $10 million or they might even be $20 million per project. So they have really large teams that are trying to push the, the whatever issue we have towards solution. And this Southern Great Plains grazing is really looking at trying to improve our abilities to raise livestock. In, in, the, in the case of this one in particular, beef grazing um, activities in the Southern Great Plains. And so it's been a really great partnership among, among all the states in the Southern Great Plains, including uh, the federal government with the Agricultural Research Service in Oklahoma. And they are... Uh, really fine-tuning the ability for ranchers to um, be able to, you know, survive drought um, and to improve their ability to store carbon and to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions because that particular project was focused on reducing the impact of agriculture on climate variability and what have you. And so, you know, we are um, we're looking to both of these projects. One is focused on um, really reducing water use and improving water conservation. And the other one is looking at improving um, beef cattle production that could be a substitute agricultural enterprise for folks in the southern Ogallala when the water um, begins to dry up there. Now you're talking about a large geographic area. I would imagine you mentioned partnerships in your answer there. Uh, I would imagine it's, it's a lot of uh, coordination and a lot of cooperation amongst a lot of groups, a lot of different organizations. Uh, absolutely, and it particularly <laughs> is very helpful to have the input from people who are actually on the land and that are, um, you know, suffering through some of these issues like drought and, and, and water restrictions and what have you. And also um, the state experts, because in most cases, water problems in particular are local. And so you need those local um, agency inputs 
uh, and the local state inputs to be able to solve any of these problems. It's just throwing money at it doesn't work. You need the cooperation of a lot of people to make to make uh, inroads into a lot of these issues that we're talking about. Uh, while the Ogallala aquifer levels are much better as you go through Nebraska, it is still a cause for concern, and Dobrolowski says the USDA and the National Institute for Food and Agriculture are keeping a close eye on the situation and looking for solutions. For Ag News Daily, I'm Bruce Gorder. Well, thank you very much, Bruce. There is a lot to think about there with that Ogallala, Lenny. Yeah, absolutely. Man, that supplies a whole lot of people and critters mm-hmm. with their drinking water. Mm-hmm. We try to supply news and insights and occasionally funny jokes every day. So if you've missed one in the past, Delaney, where should they go to get it? They can head to agnewsdaily.com. We've got all of our past episodes there. You can also reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter if you have episode suggestions for us you can find us on facebook and twitter at ag news daily or you can always shoot us an email through our contact us form on the website we get those directly into our email boxes well delaney does i do and i check my emails regularly that's right well with that delaney should we let the people go (laughs) let's let them go 